Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you that you've allowed us to meet together again one more time and to worship you, to hear your gospel preached, to open your word, and to read it and study it, and to hear of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would make this morning a, a special hour of worship, that you would be pleased to reveal your mighty, redemptive power, saving your people, calling out your people, feeding, instructing, and edifying the hearts of your people. Enable us this morning to, by faith, see the Lord Jesus Christ and to cling to him. Father, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for our children's classes, that you'd take this hour and that you'd bless them in a, in a special way. Bless our teachers. We're so thankful for them. And Father, bless our children. Use this time to plant the seeds of faith in their hearts, we pray. Father, we pray for our country at this time. All the difficult circumstances of this world, we pray you'd be with our leaders, that you'd give them wisdom and understanding, that you would direct them. Direct them in a way that is, is good for the, for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, that, that your people may be able, by thy grace, to continue worshiping you in, in freedom without fear of, re, of a reprisal or, or interference. Father, all these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know we just have one verse in our text this morning, Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want us to see what's being taught in this verse this morning by breaking it down almost word by word to see what uh, the Lord is teaching us in, in this verse. And the first word is you. You. Now something I want you to know, that when I'm preaching the gospel to you, I'm speaking specifically to you. To you. I mean, I know there are People in other places that that uh, that hear these recordings, they listen to them, and uh, you would be surprised how often I hear from those folks and tell me that they received a blessing. I'm, I'm very very thankful, and uh, I know that's the Lord's directing because I don't even know them. I didn't know they're listening. I don't know them, and, but the Lord took that and blessed it to them. So you know that that's Lord's doing, not mine. I, I, so it's always uh, just thrilling for me to hear that. But when I'm preparing messages, I think of you, this congregation, I think of each of you, every single day. And I'm, when I'm preaching, I'm looking you in the eye, pre preaching to you. Everything we preach, I hope that you'll take it and apply it to yourself. That you'll take these messages and you believe on Christ yourself. This is for you. Don't ever think that you come hear the gospel of salvation in Christ and think, well, you know, I'm just here like a bump on a log and this message is really meant for somebody else. No. No, sir, no ma'am. The good news of the gospel, God Almighty has sent it to you. 
to me. He's given it to us here in this place. He sent it to us, to you. Now take it and apply it to yourself. Listen to the gospel as a message directly from God to you. Because that's what it is. It's exactly, isn't that a blessing to think? This gospel is a message from God to you, to believe. And when you listen to the gospel, now this is to you. Listen to the gospel for yourself, for your own own benefit and applying the message to yourself. And here's what I mean by that. As we hear the gospel preached, don't think, hmm, I hope old so-and-so hears this because he really needs to hear this. You know, this is this will fix his wagon. <laughs> don't think like that. When we hear the word preached, listen to it thinking, I hope I hear this because I need to hear it. Lord, Lord wouldn't have given it to the preacher to preach if I didn't need to hear it. I need to hear it. This, this is to me. And that's good advice because the gospel will never be a blessing to me until I hear it for myself. The gospel will never be a blessing to you until you hear it for yourself. It's a message that I need to hear. The gospel will never be a blessing until I hear the gospel as a needy sinner who needs a savior. I need it. Then the gospel will be a blessing to me. But not before. This gospel sent to you, to you, to, to hear and believe. But now the second word is dead. Dead. You hath he quickened who were dead. This is very important. The scriptures teach that every son of Adam is born spiritually dead. 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 Not just sick. So if you have a little religious treatment, you know, little little religious physical therapy, you can get better. You know, your flesh can get, you know, enough spiritual strength in it to, to do something for God or be able to believe God. We're not just sick, so if we just have enough time and the right religious traditions and right religious ceremonies and the right religious medicines, if I just have a little time, I'm just sick. If I just have a little time, I'll get better. We aren't hurt so that we need a little religious help. So that we need a, a religious crutch or something. If we just, you know, have a little help, then we have enough strength to do this our own self. No, my friend, we're dead. Dead. Now, the thing about the dead is this. Somebody who's dead cannot perform the functions of life. Well, you and I are born spiritually dead. We're alive physically, but we're born spiritually dead. So we cannot perform the functions of spiritual life. We're dead, so we can't hear the gospel. I mean, we can hear the words, you know, audibly that the preacher's saying, but we can't hear it and have it applied to our hearts because our ears don't work. We're dead. We're dead, so we can't see. We can't see our need of Christ. We can't see how sinful we are, so we know how much we need Christ. We can't see Christ in his glory, so we know that he's, that he's everything that we need, we can't see. We can't understand. We're spiritually as blind as a bat. Because we're dead. Our eyes don't work. We're dead, so we can hear the gospel. We can, we can understand you know, the, the, the pillars of the gospel and understand the message of what the gospel says. It's very simple. But we can't love it. Because we're dead. Our heart doesn't work. We're dead, so we can't smell the sweet smell of the gospel because our nose doesn't work it's, it's not a sweet smell to us 
We can't taste that the gospel is sweet as honey. That uh, we're dead. Our taste buds don't work. We're dead, so we don't have the ability to believe on Christ. We don't have a, uh, the ability to believe the gospel and come run into Christ any more than a dead corpse can hear and understand the things that's being said to him as he's there in the casket. The poor family is there saying goodbye to him and saying things to him, but he can't hear. That's the way we are spiritually. We cannot hear. We cannot react. Now we're dead. We're dead in sin. We cannot perform the functions of spiritual life. We can't do what it takes to get spiritual life. We can't obey God's law. We cannot please God by our works. Since we're dead in sin, but alive physically, all that physical life does is enable us to commit more sin. All the motions of our body, all the thoughts in our head, everything that we can make our body do physically just produces more sin. More trespasses in sin. It says we're dead in sin, we walk in it. That's what Paul says in verse 2. We're in a time past. You walked. This was, this was your walk, the direction you wanted to go. Well, you walked. You conducted yourself according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all, we also, we all had our conversation, our conduct in times past. This is what we we're doing in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We are fulfilling the desires of dead flesh and a dead mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's how we walk. And that's how we walk because sin is our nature. Sin is our nature. Do you know sin's not our actions? Sin's not, sin is our nature. Our actions are sinful because our nature is sin. See, that's the problem. We're dead in sin. And I can tell you how we got that way. It's what the theologians call original sin. I saw a website this week devoted to the argument between original sin and whatever they call the opposite of original sin. I don't know what what a waste of time. But people, all kinds of people on there arguing about it. But this is what theologians call original sin. And here's what that is. When our first father, Adam, sinned, every last one of us sinned in him. See, Adam was our representative, and we did what our representative did. So when Adam sinned, you and I sinned. When Adam sinned, you and I became guilty, guilty of sin before God. And when Adam died, God told him, Adam, the day you eat that fruit, thou shalt surely die. Boy, he did, didn't he? When Adam died, we all died in him. <coughs> we lost any spiritual life. And the very reason... That we come forth from the womb speaking lies is we died in Adam. <laughs> we didn't do something to die ourselves. We have to be born in sin and oh, break the law. and Then we become sinners. We come forth from the womb speaking lies because that's what we are. Sinners. We died in Adam. We became sinners in Adam. Now look at, Ro at Romans chapter 5. Now this is not just what uh, Calvinists teach. This is not the, a teaching that John Calvin made up. This is the teaching of Scripture. We died in Adam. Romans 5, verse 12. 
Wherefore, as by one man, by Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that should have been translated, in whom all have sinned. We all sinned in Adam. That's when we became guilty. We didn't become guilty the first time we broke one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We became guilty in Adam. We broke the Ten Commandments because we became a sinner in Adam. And here's the proof of that. Do you know people died before the Ten Commandments were ever given? You didn't have to break the Ten Commandments. You didn't have to break the rest of the law in order to become a sinner and die, did you? The only reason for sin, the only reason for death is sin, right? Well, sin is not when we break the law because people died before the law was ever given. That's what Paul says in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him which was to come. Here's what Paul's saying there. Before the law was given, people died. Even babies died who never had a chance to, to do something, you know, evil or something. All that, had, people died long before the law was ever given to Moses. It's because we died in Adam. God gave a law to Adam, one, one didn't he? Just one. Don't eat, don't eat that fruit. Eat everything else, don't eat that fruit. And he broke it. Sin was, is imputed because the law was broken. God's commandment was broken. And people died because, not because we became sinners when we broke the law, it's because we died in Adam. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. Verse 21. For since by, by man came death, This spiritual death, physical and spiritual death, came by man, by Adam's sin. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. Everyone Adam represented died when Adam died. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So the scriptures are very clear, aren't they? We became sinners in Adam. We died when Adam died. We spiritually died. Now, like I told you about that website, you can argue against original sin all you want to. You can argue now; it won't change anything. But you can argue against it all you want to. But let me ask you this: If it weren't for original sin, if you didn't become guilty in Adam, you're still guilty, aren't you? <laughs> We're guilty. We've all committed enough sin just since we've been here to send ten worlds to hell. <laughs> the good news of original sin is this: If in Adam all die. In Christ, all can be made alive. If one representative man can make us sinners by his disobedience, the second representative man can make us righteous by his obedience. See, that's the good news of the gospel, and that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for his people. He made them to live by his obedience. And I'm spending some some time on this point, because we've got to get this. We're dead. We need God to do something for us we cannot do for ourselves. There's no point in going on preaching the gospel until we understand this. I'm dead. I've got to understand my need.
before the gospel will, will be any benefit to me. The good news of life in Christ won't be good news to me unless I'm dead. See, the good news of salvation by grace in Christ won't do any good to me. Won't be, it won't be good news to me until I know I'm guilty. And I need somebody to forgive me of my sin. I can't be saved by my works. I need to be saved by grace. I need Christ to do it for me. Here's something else about preaching to the lost. Preaching to those who are dead. You won't do any good to yell at a dead man. I, uh, I feel very intense when, uh, when, when I'm preaching. And I try not to use that intensity to try to just ram this down your throat for this reason. It won't do any good to yell at a dead man. I mean, suppose you had a loved one that, uh, that did something that, uh, that, that offended you. And before they could apologize, before you could work out, they died. It's not going to do you any good to go down to their funeral home and start yelling at him. It's just not going to do any good. He's not going to respond. It doesn't do any good to threaten a dead man with the law. He's not afraid of it. He's unaffected by it. It doesn't do any good to, to yell at a dead man because he can't hear you, he can't feel you, and he can't fear you. The only thing that will help us is the preaching of Christ. Because that's the gospel that God uses to save sinners. And that brings me to the third word, he. Now this is the, the, all, the all of the gospel is summed up in that two-letter word, he. It's all Christ. Now you'll notice that that... Uh, uh, Brother Henry, there, there was a bug there, in case you didn't know that. Brother Henry said one time, uh, he said, fellows go out and preach and they come back and um, he said, everybody keeps talking about liberty. I felt like I had, had some good liberty. And Henry said, well, liberty's good. He said, but now, but now truth is better. He said, a bug flying through the air can mess up your liberty. That's what happened to me. <laughs> Just a bug. That's <laughs> something. Get back where I was. He, he, he. The gospel is all in Christ. Now you'll notice that that hath he quickened is in italics. The translators have added that to try to help us understand the meaning of the verse. But this is what Paul actually wrote. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now it's okay. So that, that I mean, that was the point. That's why I did the, the word dead next. Because we got, you're dead. I'm dead. We're dead. But it, it's all right that the translators added this, uh, this phrase, hath he quickened. They didn't do any harm at all to the scriptures. Because that's exactly what Paul says in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So here's what Paul's saying. Every one of us, were born dead in sin. And if we were dead, but now we have spiritual life, it's because God gave it to us. God gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us as a free gift of his grace. And this is the very reason we don't try to beg people to make a decision or walk an aisle or do something for God or make some sort of public commitment in order to be saved. It's because we can't do it. I mean, I could probably talk you into doing some things, but 
It wouldn't do your soul any good. There's no point in begging somebody to do something that they can't do. There's no point in telling somebody you've got to keep the law in order for God to be happy with you because we can't keep it. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Only God can do something for a sinner. Only God. Salvation is of the Lord. You and I are born spiritually dead. And the only one who has the power to give us life is God. Salvation is all in Christ. It's by what God has purposed and what God has done. Isn't that what we studied in chapter 1? It's God who blessed us. He's the one who decided to bless us of his own free will. He decided to bless us. God's the one who chose us. God's the one who predestinated us to be made like Christ. God's the one who made us holy and without blame before him in love. God's the one who accepts us in Christ. It's in Christ, not what we've done. It's all in Christ. We need to be redeemed. God is the one who redeemed us by the blood of his son. God is the one who is pleased to reveal himself to us. We never would have seen him unless he was pleased to reveal himself to us. God did that, didn't he? God's the one who did everything necessary. He even gave us the faith to believe on Christ. He did everything that was necessary to save the souls of the people he saved. That's what he said. Let's read that. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. He blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, in him, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now that his there is the same he in verse 2. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Salvation's of the Lord, isn't it? God did everything. Where, where is what you did in that? Where is what I did in that? Not there, is it? Salvation is all what God has done for his people. And if you and I have life, it's because God gave it to us. He had to do it. Now the fourth word is quickened. That word quicken means to give life, to make alive. And only God has the power to do that. To give life to a dead sinner? To make a dead sinner, an enemy, a natural born enemy of God, to live. Spiritually live. Only God has the power to do that. Now you notice he quickens. He doesn't renovate. He doesn't change. He doesn't knock out a wall and add a wall and do some things. You know, take what's already there and renovate it into something different. He quickens. He gives brand new life that was not there before. Only God has the power to do it. Only God can give life where there was none before. And you know how God creates that life? With the very same power that it took for him to say, let there be light. The power that it took for God to create this universe from nothing. Just a black hole. God created the universe just by speaking. It takes that very same power for God to speak. 
put life in our heart, spiritual life in our heart. See, if I'm going to live, it's going to take the life-giving, life-creating power of God to do it, isn't it? Now, God quickens his people. Scripture tells us that God, because he's sovereign, because he's God, quickens whom he will. Isn't that what he told Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3? The wind bloweth where it listeth. The spirit just moves, moves where he will and gives life where he will. God Almighty gives life. He quickens whom he will. That our cry should be, Lord, give me life. Lord, you have the power to give me life. You're the only one that can do it. Lord, give me life. Oh, I'm begging you, give me life. And the life that God gives is spiritual, eternal life. It's a brand new person, a brand new nature that never existed before. This nature is a holy nature. It's a nature that can never see it because it's born from, sin, from sinless seed. The preaching of the word of God that the Holy Spirit plants in the hearts of God's people, that's the seed that produces life. And the life that seed produces is just like the seed. It's holy and righteous. Now when God gives his people life, you know, he doesn't just do it by just issuing a royal decree. When God gives his people life, it's going to cost him something. If I'm going to live, if you're going to live, something's got to be done with our sin. See, it's sin that causes death, isn't it? Wherever there's sin, there must be death. We cannot live if we're still in our sin. Unless our sin's been paid for. My sin has to be taken away before I can live. And that's what Christ our Savior's done. That's how he hath quickened his people. The way God gives life to his people is by his son dying in our place. I hope that we don't hear that statement so often that we lose the awe of it. The Son of God. The Son of God. The Father gave His Son. The Father sacrificed His Son so that sinners could live. You think of that. This is how God gives His people life. It's, he takes their sin away and makes them righteous so that they must live. For he had made him, the son, him, the same him, the same he here in our, in our, in our verse one. For he, the father, had made him, God the son, sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, if he's made us righteous, he's taken our sin away, we must live. That's how he quickens his people. All right, now that's the good news of the gospel. That's how God makes sinners live. Now I'm going to circle back to my first word again. You. Now remember, I'm preaching to you. What I'm saying is God's message to you this morning. Don't listen to the gospel and think, well, there's no hope for me. Don't ever listen to the gospel and think, well, there's no good news in the gospel for me. You know, this gospel is for, for these, these other people. And I'm telling you that. I know people think that because I grew up thinking that. I grew up hearing the gospel preach and look around the room and and 
saw what to me appeared to be absolute giants in the faith. I thought, well, here he's preaching. He's preaching. No, 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 no. I'm preaching to you. To you. If the Lord saved others, he certainly can save you. Can he? How about the writer of this letter? The Lord took Saul of Tarsus. Could be the most self-righteous man who ever lived. Who really thought he had never outwardly broken the law. I mean, he wasn't just making that up. He wasn't just saying that even though he knew it wasn't true. I really think Saul of Tarsus really genuinely thought I had never broken God's law. He hated the gospel. He hated the way of Christ. He hated salvation by Christ. He hated it so much, he'd throw people in jail and let them rot there if they believed it. The Lord took old self-righteous Saul of Tarsus and turned him into Paul the Apostle who wrote this glorious letter. The Lord went down there to the wharf one day and saw a bunch of fishermen, uneducated. Saul of Tarsus was educated, the most educated man of his time. The Lord went down there to the, the, to the wharf and saw some fishermen who were probably barely literate and turned them into fishers of men and turned the world upside down by what they preached. The Lord took a slave ship captain slave trader. He invested in slave training, in slave trading, made a living by trading human beings as slaves. Became a slave himself for a while. That captain's name is John Newton. The Lord turned him into a great preacher of God's grace who could write the song Amazing Grace. The Lord took a tinker nobody ever heard. You know what a tinker is? He'd sell old pots and pans. On a cart, he'd push that court, cart down the road and then pans would ride on it. I mean, is there any, any money in that? I mean, this is tinker nobody knew. Had very little education. He did have some. Served in the military. Very uh, unimpressive. There's no, no record of anything he ever did in the military. Just somebody nobody ever heard named John Bunyan. Lord turned him into a great preacher of Christ who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, or put him in jail so he write Pilgrim's Progress. Are you a nobody? <laughs> well, the Lord has the power to do that for you too. And my strongest advice to you is come to him, begging him to give you. I hope the Lord will bless that to you.